Pastor. Well, good evening, church. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll uh, cover the next part in our series here. And we're continuing our study. Remembering last week, we saw the gospel clearly shown and exemplified through the apostles' ministry uh, to this church, to these people here at Thessalonica. Uh, and he did that through not just his words, but through what he showed them and how he behaved amongst them. And uh, we identified that seeing the gospel lived out practically before your eyes really does have a, a great impact on the walk we can present before the Lord and a worthy walk before the Lord and therefore really perpetuate it in the lives of others, the people around us. So tonight I want to look at something slightly different. We're going to look at something I've titled The Gospel's Progressive Pathway. The Gospel's Progressive Pathway. And in doing so, we'll identify three key components that really, I believe, are evident when the gospel is progressing in the believer's life. So some things that will stand out, things that we'll identify in the life of a believer. Uh, but we'll uh, look here in First Thessalonians chapter 2, just read a verse or two, and then we'll uh, take some time to pray. So Paul's just finished explaining in verse 12 of chapter 2 how the believers are to take the gospel and to walk worthy of God and his calling. And I will pick up in verse 13 here and read all the way to the end of the chapter, and then I'll pray. So verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when, we when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoured the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. All right, amen. Let's just have a word of prayer here. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the day that you have given us, Lord. Uh, we understand that all gifts are from you, Father, and we just thank you for what you have bestowed upon us this week. And our Lord, even just to be able to meet tonight and uh, to hear from your word, to sing unto you, we just thank you for these things, Lord. Father, I do pray that you would guide us in this time right now, uh, that you would be pleased with all that takes place. I pray, Lord, that the word going forth tonight would minister to hearts, and uh, the Lord, that we could do things with this that please you, that help other people in their search for you, Lord God. And uh, Father, we thank you that all things in your word are able to be trusted, that Lord God, your word is true, and that we can receive it from a God that cares for us, Lord. And we thank you for these things. I pray that you would bless our time together now. I pray you'd be pleased with all that takes place and do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen the path that a letter takes from when it is in your hand and you put it into a post box and how it gets to the person on the other side, how it gets to that other person's letterbox. I don't know if you've ever been privileged to see the process inside Australia Post and the machines that those things go through. I had the opportunity a number of years ago 
to work over a Christmas period at Australia Post at Northgate, had their mail centre there, and uh, process all the mail that came in and all the parcels. And it was astonishing to me the machines that they have in that place. They are amazing. Like Some of these machines are half the size of this building just for mail to go through different rollers and it's incredible. And then that's just a little portion of it. There's so much more outside of that. So these, these mail comes in and it's in bundles obviously because they take it from the post boxes and it just gets dumped onto these conveyor belts. And you've got to sort through the parcels from the letters and different things. And then those letters go into another machine that gets sorted in a different way. And then the machine that really impressed me was the one that was about half the size of this building. These letters went through and you couldn't even, you couldn't even follow the letter with your eyes. It went through so fast. It went through so many rollers, so many pathways. And it actually speeds past a little camera that reads your handwriting and identifies which suburb it needs to go to and then it will spit it out of that machine into another machine and it will come out in these different rows of different suburbs where they're supposed to go. And then there's people there grabbing those and putting them into another pile that goes somewhere. It was just astonishing. But my point is, in seeing all of that, and there's things that you don't see because those letters go so fast, there are points along the way for the progression of that letter from point A to point B that are necessary. So obviously putting that mail into the post box is the first one that is absolutely necessary for it to get to its intended destination. The machine that took it and scanned where it goes to the suburb, that is necessary for it to go through that. And the person who pulls it out of that spot to put it into the next one, it has to go through that to get to where it goes. So it is in the life of a Christian and the life of the believer that there are points identified where you can say, yes, that has to happen for them to get to this spot. For them to glorify God in their life, they have to go through this spot and they have to do this and you'll identify these different things along the way. So there's just three things tonight that I want to look at that you're going to identify in the life of a believer and possibly not just yourself but people around you and it can help you to minister to them in a greater capacity. So that's what I want to look at tonight. And I want you to notice that this progressive pathway of the gospel, it starts with a receptive spirit, a receptive spirit. Look in verse 13 for me, and I'll read this. It says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye, notice the next word, received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. These people acknowledge that what they heard from the apostle was actually the word of God, the word of truth itself. It was not just his words that he made up and just thought this is something nice to say. They acknowledged that this was actually the very powerful word of God. And these were not Christians at the time when they heard this. So they acknowledged that it had weight. They had reverence for it. They listened intently and they took it upon themselves to do what he said to do. They said, this is important. So they treated it with respect. And the reason I think the, the Apostle Paul points out here that it, they didn't just take it as the word of men is because some people take the gospel as just the word of men. Some people think that this is just a fairy tale. Some people think that this is just somebody's opinion, that that's just what they think, that's just what he thinks. Oh, well, that's just your opinion. Well, I have a different opinion. So some people will hear what this says and just take it as the word of men. Just like you would take somebody's favourite colour as, oh, well, that's just their opinion. That's how some people take the gospel message. 
And I'm not just talking tonight about salvation because the majority of us here tonight would acknowledge, yes, we have already received the gospel message as the word of God, but talking about the growth in your Christian walk. So think about that letter. It has to get from point A to point B. There's a lot that it goes through in between. So how you respond to the gospel, not just salvation, but how you respond to the gospel words, God's words, will help you in your growth as a Christian. So they treated this very seriously. And God's got a message for everyone, but not everyone's going to receive it. Not everyone wants to receive it. And, you know, the hardest person for me to receive a compliment from or to receive some constructive criticism from, you know who that person is? It's my wife. And you might be going, that's a bit weird. Well, the, the hardest thing for me to receive from her is a compliment or constructive criticism, not because of what she's saying is not true or because what she's saying doesn't, is, is, she doesn't care, it's because I can be tempted to think, if she's giving me a compliment, like, hey, Friday night, that, that message you gave the youth, that was really good. I, I think that they really responded to that. Um, you're really, really clear in everything that you said. That was a really good job you did there. I can be thinking, oh, she just has to say that. <laughs> like, you know, if she asks me, uh, do I look good in this? Well, there's an obvious answer. The answer is yes. <laughs> so I can be thinking, when she gives me a compliment, that, that's, just, that's just her words. That's just, that's just her saying that because she's married to me and, you know, you're supposed to say those things. Same with constructive criticism. Not that she points out all my faults all the time, but she might say, hey, you know, how you spoke to the girls this morning, a little bit harsh, uh, maybe you need to work on that or say sorry about that. I can write that off as, well, she's just having a bad day and she's taking it out on me. So God's probably trying to send me some messages in those two things and if I just take it as the words of man and not as God's trying to send me a message and I dismiss those things, then I lose out. There's no opportunity for growth in those areas. And other people lose out too. So I'm just saying how we receive something, how your spirit receives something affects your fruitfulness. So how these Thessalonians received the word of God, it affected their fruitfulness because they took it as the word of God so therefore they could be fruitful in the word of God. So you can see that it really does start with a receptive spirit. And I want you to head over to Luke 8 with me and we'll look at two verses here real quick. Luke chapter 8, obviously a very familiar passage, the parable of the sower that Jesus explains here. And like I said earlier, we're not just talking about salvation tonight uh, when we talk about the gospel's progressive pathway, but we're talking about any of God's truths. So Luke chapter 8, verse number 8, uh, Jesus explains here that there's, good, there's, there's different soils. There's the good seed, which is the word of God, and they fall upon different soils. Luke 8, he talks about the good ground. He says this, And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit and hundredfold. And if you go down to verse 15 of Luke 8, he explains what that actually means. He says, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now I want to ask you a question. What made the good ground good ground? Because it wasn't magical ground. The seed was, 
the same for each of those different soils. So what made this ground different? What made it good? And if Jesus said it's good, then it's good. I'll put it to you that it was ground, and it's talking about a person's heart. It was prepared. It was ready to receive. It was expectant. So how can ground be expectant? Well, it's talking about the heart. It was expecting to receive something, and it kept it. If you saw in verse 15, kept it and bore fruit. So it was expecting to receive something, a truth. So if we look at ourselves and when the gospel is preached, the gospel is shown, the gospel is spoken to us from somebody else, are we expecting to hear from God or are we just dismissing and putting it down to man's words? But that's the difference with the, with the, the ground here is that it was an expectant ground. It was ready to receive. And it doesn't matter how uncomfortable or inconvenient the truth is, For the gospel to make progress in your life, you need to be expectant to receive something from it. Otherwise, you'll always get nothing because your ears will be closed. Your heart will be hard to it. Even when you're tired on a, what's the day today, Wednesday night? (laughs) And I appreciate everyone being here. I understand it is tiring on a midweek. It's hard. But... Are we expecting to receive something even on a Wednesday night when we're tired? Are we expecting to receive something when it's an unfamiliar truth that might be being taught? Not heretical, but just something unfamiliar, something that maybe you haven't thought about for a while. Are you expecting to receive something? Are you expecting to receive something when it's a familiar truth being taught? Or are you tempted to switch off because, well, I've already heard that before. See, God's always talking to us and always wanting us to learn something and know something. So we have to remember, we have to be receptive. Our spirit needs to have a receiving mindset to it so we can receive what he wants. And if you flick back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'll show you here that Paul says at the end of verse 13, the word of God which effectually worketh That's what he's saying he communicated to them and they received as the word of God. But he says that it effectually worketh. And that word, it's one word, it means to be operative with power. So not just running along, not just, you know, keeping the the cogs turning, but there's actually power connected to that. There's power involved in that. There's God's power. When we receive the word of God, the gospel of God as God's word, then there's power that can be produced from that. There's fruit that can be produced from that. So it's really important that we understand that we have to say, well, it's, it's God's word, then I'm going to receive this. I'm going to listen to this. And God's plan is that his word would progress with power in your life. But it starts with how you receive it. So you need a receptive spirit. Uh, the gospel's pathway starts with this receptive spirit. But next I want you to notice it opens up a root, as in R-O-U-T-E, of suffering. It opens up a root of suffering. I ask you a question. How could Paul identify that the word of God was effectually working in these believers? How did he know what was going on? How could, how could he make that statement that this word of God is effectually working in you? Well, have a look in verse 14. He says this, For ye, brethren, became what? Followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have, what's the next word? 
suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So Paul says, I know the gospel is working effectually in you because I've seen it do the same thing in these other churches. I've seen you doing exactly what these churches are doing, going through what these churches are going through. The gospel is effectually working in them. They're going through suffering and you are following them through that suffering. You are, you are in the same situation as them. So I know that it's happened here. It's happening with you guys as well. So he identifies that. So he explains also in verse 15 what the Jews did. He says here that they killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. And then he goes on to say they've persecuted me, Paul himself, verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. He's saying these churches have suffered. You've seen this happen right in front of your eyes. When I came to you, when I came to Thessalonica, I was kicked out for preaching the gospel. So you were, you were partakers of this suffering. You, you were in, we were, we were you know, in this together, basically, is what he's saying. So you see, I've seen it happen in these churches. It's happened right before your eyes. And guess what? Now it's happening to you. Because you guys are the ones that are, are not the majority. You guys are the minority. So you have become a Christian now. Well, now everyone's looking at you and saying, oh, that's just their opinion. They're just talking about a fairy tale. But they're being persecuted for it. So he identifies this persecution, this suffering is happening to them and it's an inevitable part of the Christian life. Unfortunately, but not so unfortunately because there's blessings that come out of it as well. And that's what I want to look at here. Is Paul doesn't write this to scare them. He doesn't say, well, all this suffering's coming so you know, just get them all worked up and fearful. But he certainly doesn't write it to condemn them either. He doesn't write it to say, you know, you guys are going through suffering because of these bad choices you made. Because suffering can come from bad choices that we make. We can bring it upon ourselves through bad decisions, through sin in our life. But this is not what he's saying. He's showing them and us that this root of suffering is often part of the gospel's progressive pathway in a believer's life. He's, he's basically telling them this is, this is the normal pattern of things. This is the normal pathway of things. When you take God at his word and not just his men's word, then suffering will come after. Suffering will follow. But he doesn't just leave it there to, you know, stress them out. He gives them some hope about this as well. But I want, you to, I want to ask you this. How do you feel when you find yourself on the root of suffering? on that pathway of suffering, when it's not self-inflicted? Do you ever feel like you're the only one going through it? Do you ever feel you're alone in your suffering? Because that's probably one of the major things that we find, is we, we feel that we're alone in when we're being persecuted for our faith. Now, this is not to do with faith. This is not to do with uh, suffering but it will illustrate the point nonetheless. For many years, probably since I was in high school, I've had this, I don't know if you'd say ability. <laughs> it sounds, sounds like I'm a superhero all of a sudden. I had this, when I think of a number, I can see it in my head. But I don't just see, like, so I think of the number eight, 
I think of number eight and I can see it in my head, but I can also see a whole line of the numbers around it. So I can see all the way down to one, and then I see zero, and then like it goes into the negatives and they're a different colour. I'm freaking some of you out right now. <laughs> but I can also see it goes up 15 and like 20 is here and then you know 100 is kind of over here in a different colour. And you know my week, my Monday is like here and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Sunday comes around like that. This is all visual in my head. Why am I telling you this? Because for years, this is what I thought, like this is just how I process things, this is how I think. You know, months of, the, months of the year, all the same. I see it in these different ways, different colours. I know, I'm crazy. But that's exactly my point, is I was trying to find other people that had this same thing that I had. So I found my sister had the same thing, but nobody else in our family. And so I would ask people, hey, do you see numbers in your head? <laughs> and they're like, okay, I think I have someone else to talk to. <laughs> but really, up until even like, Two years ago, I was still asking people. I remember having a conversation with Michael Dodd. I was at his house and we were talking about stuff and this came out and I said, so when you think of a number, and he's like, you're just weird, mate. <laughs> so I'm sitting here thinking, I'm just the only one that thinks like this. this is weird. Am, I, am I crazy? Like, is this like a disease? Is there something wrong with me? Then my sister calls me up one day and says, you've got to turn on the TV onto Channel 7. So I turn on the TV on the channel 7 and there's this lady on the TV and she's like, and 1 to 10 is like this and it's pink and 10 to 20 is yellow. And I'm going, that's me. There's somebody else out there that thinks like me, sees things like me. You know how much comfort that gave me? And it's like, that's nothing. That doesn't even mean anything in life. But I wasn't alone. <laughs> There's like, it's this thing called synesthesia. It's a legitimate thing. People see numbers and stuff, and that's how they process things, and I'm one of them. But I then looked it up, and then, you know, there's a whole, like, there's so many people in the whole world that have this thing. It's not just, like, a couple of people. But that just made me think, oh, this whole time, I haven't been just going through this myself. And I know this is not suffering, but that feeling, <laughs> <laughs> maybe in nowadays it, it is, but... But that feeling of being alone, that feeling of it's just me and nobody understands and you know, there's nobody else I can reach out to or that kind of thing, maybe that's what these folks were feeling until they heard, hey, this is happening to other churches around and Paul's encouraging them that you're, going, you're following them through this. It's effectually working in you. This is a good thing. There's actually a support network out there for you for Christians going through suffering, you realise there's a support network. People that have suffered through things before, we can get encouragement from them. The Bible, God's word, encourages us, gives us comfort through the things that we're suffering and we can do the same and perpetuate that. So it's really a good thing when you find out I'm not going through this alone. And so Paul is saying, you're going to find suffering, you're going to go this route of suffering, but hey, you're not doing it by yourself. And that's the comfort coming out in these passages again, of you're not doing this just by yourself. First Peter 4, Paul's also written, you don't need to turn there, but he says that we're not supposed to think that it's strange when trials come our way, like it's a strange thing that happened. Verse 13 in First Peter 4, he says, but rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. 
Now that word partakers, I looked that up and it, said, it means this, to share with others, to communicate, to distribute. That talks about sharing things. That talks about there's a community of support. That talks about a network that believers can have to help believers through their suffering. So we have opportunity to do that. But that's something that we're supposed to be expecting as well. So, you know, I said the path, the gospel progression, the pathway of the gospel in a believer's life, this is something we're supposed to go, that's a, that's a checkpoint that I'm going to go through. But it's also a checkpoint that I can help when somebody else goes through as well. So there's fellowship in this suffering. Like suffering and fellowship, they often, you don't think of those two in, in the same sentence. But there's fellowship in suffering. There's inclusion in this suffering. There's comfort in this suffering. And even in verse Peter verse 4, it goes on after that to say that God is actually glorified through all of this as well, through the suffering. So as with my first point, how you receive this kind of suffering will determine what you get out of it. So the gospel's progressive pathway that we're talking of starts with a receptive spirit. It opens up to a root of suffering. And finally, it can encourage a rejoicing of saints, a rejoicing of saints. And Paul continues to communicate with the church from verse 17 here in 1 Thessalonians 2. And he mentions his sudden departure from them due to his own persecution, his own suffering. Verse 17 reads this. It says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoured the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Now, despite Paul's physical absence from these folks, they hadn't left his heart. I don't know how big Paul's heart was, but it was enough to hold a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of hurting people in it. And we would probably think, man, I just wouldn't have the room for that. But it's possible because he was not a superhuman. So he had room in them for his, he had room in his heart for them still, despite everything he was going through himself. Now that's, that's incredible. Now think about this. The church didn't have constant communication with the Apostle Paul. So they could have been thinking that he had forgot about them. They could have been thinking, maybe I'm not in his heart. Maybe he's gone off to another place now and he's working with some other people and we're just kind of left here. They could have been thinking along those lines before Timothy came. They could have been thinking that. But Paul was aware of their growth. He was aware of their testimony. And we saw a couple of weeks ago in chapter 1, verse 8, that their faith was spread abroad so much that Paul said, we really don't need to say anything. We don't need to speak anything. It's already spread abroad amongst many other people. But verse 17 of chapter, chapter 2, he expresses how greatly he desires to see them again. Why? Why does he greatly desire to see them again? He's, he's, he's done his ministry with them. He's helped them along their path. He's, he's gone to another place, yes, through persecution, but now he's working with another group of people. Why does he greatly desire want to see these guys again? We'll have a look in verse 19 and 20. It says this. This is Paul speaking to the church. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even who? Ye, that's the church, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For ye are our glory and joy. There's a rejoicing of saints. So what's, what the gospel is doing in these believers' life 
has enabled Paul to be rejoicing, a saint to be rejoicing, a believer to be rejoicing because of what's happening in their lives. And he greatly desires to see them because they bring him glory, they bring him joy. Their receptive spirit toward the gospel, their fellowship and suffering for the gospel, their presence, their standing before Christ, the fact that they're part of Christ's kingdom now. That's the, these are the things that he's saying, these are the things that bring me joy. These are the things that make me rejoice. Verse 19, have a look with me. It says, a crown of rejoicing. You know that word crown means honour. So it was the honour of the person investing into other people to see the gospel progress in their life. It was like putting a crown on. It was like seeing the gospel do something in another person's life, that brought him great joy, great rejoicing. Is that what it's like for you? When you see your investment in someone's life coming to fruition, they haven't just taken what you've said from here, just your words, but they've taken it as the word of God and they've been fruitful with it, they've gone through some things. Does that bring you joy? To see them progressing? It does for me, and I'm, I haven't even been, you know, ministering to people for that long. But when I see them progressing in the things of God, that brings me joy. That really excites me. When I see someone make a good decision because I've been able to invest in their life, that brings me joy. And I know I'm not the only one investing. You understand that. There's, that can bring joy to many people just from one person's life. But that's what the gospel in someone's life does. It brings a rejoicing of saints. It brings a smile to people's face. It brings even sometimes a renewed purpose in ministry as well. You know, there are people that have invested the gospel in you that still have you in their heart. Could have been from a long time ago. But there, you are in somebody's heart. I can guarantee you that. If someone has invested the gospel in your life, then you are in somebody's heart. I've got my 20-year high school reunion coming up next month. I know I'm old. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, and I went to a Christian school and we had Christian teachers, Christian principal. I'm pretty sure, and some of those, those teachers are going to be at this reunion, that they will be a little bit like the Apostle Paul. When they see the students that have gone on and are serving the Lord, that will bring joy to them. That will bring rejoicing to them because they spent their time and effort investing into these students, hoping, praying that fruition would come, that the ministry would come through these, these students and that the Lord would be pleased with their lives. When they see that, hey, that actually has taken place, I'm pretty sure that they're going to be pretty joyful about that. They're going to be pretty happy that they took that time to invest. Now, I'm not saying that they've sat there thinking for the past 20 years, oh, you know, Andrew Barnes, he's in my heart, like just <laughs> thinking about me all the time. No, I don't think so. It might be that it kind of comes back when they think of this reunion, maybe pray a little bit more. But when they see that this thing has happened in multiple people's lives, I think that will bring a lot of joy to them. So we can do that. We can have that influence. When we continue on for Christ, we can bring joy to another saint. That's pretty powerful. So... I believe tied in with this joy the Apostle Paul had was also encouragement to keep going. 
encouragement to keep it going in the ministry. And, you know, really, the Gospels progressive pathway that we've talked about tonight was actually happening in the Apostle Paul's life as well. Have a, have a, just think about this for a second. He showed a receptive spirit. He took God at his word. Acts chapter 16, Holy Spirit said to go to Macedonia. So he said, okay, I'm going to take that as from God and I'm going to do it. Now fruit came out of that. He had a root of suffering. Well, how many do we talk about? <laughs> But even in, in this instance, Acts 16, Acts 17, I mean the Philippian jail being persecuted, Acts 17 when they came to the Thessalonians and they were kicked out. I mean he had his root of suffering. He also encouraged a rejoicing of saints, which is what we just talked about. Look over quickly, this is my last, last verse. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 6. It says this, that ye, this is talking about the church, that ye have good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us. So Timothy was sent to this church after Paul was taken away and found that the church really wanted to see Paul again, that they were really encouraged by him and that that was going to bring joy to them, even just thinking about how he had invested in their lives. So he, he, he encouraged a rejoicing of saints himself. So you see how you can be the giver of these things but also the receiver of these things? But these things are important in the life of a believer, the gospel progressing through. And I guess for us just to think, are, are these things noticeable in my life? Am I noticing these things in somebody else's life and encouraging them? When they're going through some suffering, how can I help them to see that they're actually part of a bigger picture, that there is a support network for them? How can I encourage somebody else to keep on going for the Lord so they can bring rejoicing to somebody else? So you see how these are things that really, they're everyday things for us, but they're helpful for us. They bring glory to God too. So some things to think about. I pray that's a help. I pray that's a blessing. And I'll just say a word of prayer and then we'll be done this evening. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I do thank you for tonight. Thank you for helping us to see these things from your word. Thank you for the encouragement you give us through examples, Lord. I pray you'd help us to take these things and use them for your glory, for further ministry, Father God, and to reach more people for your name's sake. Father, we thank you and we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.